0: Happy Mother's Day. It's nice to see everyone. I acknowledge that this day is a blessing for many and still a burden for others, both of which are great realities for the Holy Spirit to work in and amongst your heart. So I just want to invite all of you with an open posture, with your heart open, with your mind open, with your hands open, just be ready to receive whatever it is the Lord wants to deliver right to your heart, okay? Uh, did you all get some strawberries? Did you get some strawberries? Okay, there's some strawberries out there, and there's a photo booth out there. So after service, please linger. There's chocolate-covered strawberries, and there's a photo booth. So I want to invite you, moms, this is your chance to get your, like, one great family picture together. Literally, every every holiday, my mother, guys, we need to have a family photo, and all of us complain, like, this is your chance. This is your chance to get that family photo and some treats afterwards. If you're a guest with us this morning, there's a QR code in front of you. We'd love to help you get connected to this local body. We've got a gift bag for you also at the welcome desk after service. We're going to jump right into this morning's text. This is John chapter 4. The passage will be on the monitors to my right and left, or you can power on your Bible to John chapter 4 as we jump into today's passage. Uh, it says this in John chapter 4, four verse 1 it says now jesus learned that the pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than john although in fact it was not jesus who baptized but his disciples so he left judea and went back once more to galilee now he had to go through samaria So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of the ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So here's a little bit of the background of what we're reading this morning. Because the Pharisees were trying to incite competition between Jesus and John the Baptist, which was evident from the previous chapter in John chapter 3, Jesus left Judea and started north for Galilee. He could have taken one of three possible routes. He could have taken along the coast, across the Jordan, up through Perea, or straight through Samaria. A little history here for you, family. Orthodox Jews avoided Samaritans and Samaria because there was a long-standing, deep-seated hatred between them and the Samaritans. The Samaritans were a mixed race, part Jew, part Gentile. And that was because Assyria captivated this part of of Judea, the northern tribes, 10 of the 12 in the mid-700s. And rejected by the Jews, the Samaritans established their own temple and religious services on Mount Gerizim. And this only fanned the flames of prejudice. So intense was Jewish dislike for Samaritans that some Jews would pray that Samaritans wouldn't be raised in the resurrection. It's a sad, sad chapter of Israel's history. It's not Israel's best self, that is for sure. But the passage does not capture Jesus' social breach. The breach of Jesus is lost on our modern mind. There would have been every effort put in by a Jewish person or a Samaritan person to avoid the other. I will take a different route. I will make sure to not frequent the same wells. I will do whatever I can to not run into this person. It can't be overstated that the social line that Jesus crossed was meteoric. It was monumental. It was something that would have been looked down upon by his counterparts. Here's an idea for you as we drift into this passage this morning, is that Jesus will cross human drawn lines. And he will cross them without hesitation. Even so much so that this long-lasting historical separation from the Jewish community and the Samaria where the Samaritans resided. There was this long-standing tension and hatred between these two people groups and it was just heartbreaking. As we look back, of course, we're like, what, how is this even possible? And that was their reality. And the Samaritans set up their own temple because they worshiped God too. And here we have Jesus breaching a human drawn line. And it's beautiful because Jesus is not bound by human drawn lines. We often are. We often do. And so this is an amazing story where the beginning part of the unfolding of this incredible story is Jesus just throwing human value systems and lines into the wind. I have no need for your human-drawn lines. Watch me be God. Jesus will cross human-drawn lines. And that social breach would have been jaw-dropping, to be sure, in that day. And let's add another layer of complexity to this fascinating story. What about the simple fact that this woman was alone? She was alone. She did not come in a crowd. She did not come in a pair. She did not come with security. She came alone. Perhaps doing a chore that she needed to do and getting the water from the well for the purpose of utility or refreshment. Regardless, she was alone because she wanted to be alone. She very well could have brought a friend or two She could have brought a level of security if she wanted to, but she didn't. Now, being married for almost 11 years, when my wife wants to be alone, she'll find time to get alone, no matter how hard it takes. Even if our three kids are incessantly asking us existential questions about the chores, that we're performing. Why are you doing that? It's like, you don't need to know why. My wife has come to a point in her life where she has an answer to our children's existential questions. And it's very simple. It is no more questions at this time. (laughs) She was alone because she wanted to be alone. No more questions at this time. I have a chore to do. And this is my opportunity to be alone. Assuming this woman desired to be by herself, I'm going to assume that there are many adult women in this congregation right now who are frazzled and who are stressed and who are being pulled in every direction. And at one point, I heard a dear friend share with me, she said, Luke, I am running ragged. And so your hearts maybe resonate with this woman who also is doing something utility but desires for a quiet moment to accompany this said chore. And if I get that quiet moment in the mindlessness of a chore, I will take it. I'll take it. Something in me can't help but wonder if this woman needed time alone as much, as much as she needed water. And Jesus, who needs no executive assistant ever, has a divine sense of schedule, family, and sure, he was tired from his tra- travel, but found Jacob's well. In all of the desert, God, Jesus found Jacob's well. Why? He could have gone anywhere. He was Jesus. He is Jesus. He can draw water from whatever well he wants to. They're all his. So why Jacob's well? Well, you see, Jesus' divine sense of schedule has you on the agenda. And what we see here is that He could have taken any route to Galilee, but he chose Samaria. More than understanding what he will be confronted with, after all, he knew his heritage better than anybody, and he knew he would run into a Samaritan, and there would be possibly some tension, some conflict. Jesus had this woman on his mind because Jesus had this woman in his schedule because he had this woman on his agenda. He could have gotten his own drink. He could have. But instead, he asked this woman to draw water from the well for him. He knew this woman was coming, family. I wonder if it's a word of encouragement for my women, for my mothers, for my wives, for the busy, the frazzled, distressed, pulled in every direction. If you knew that Jesus had you on his schedule because he has you on his agenda, would your heart take comfort in that reality? Would you find a little bit of encouragement knowing that Jesus is waiting on you to arrive? in your pursuit of a mindless chore, to find a moment to be alone, that Jesus is waiting on you. I know that the human heart has not changed because I texted a handful of my adult human female friends this past week and I asked them this very simple question. I said, what does a busy woman, a wife, a mother do to refresh herself? Now, what was not shocking was the answers what was shocking was the consensus in the answers kind of told me like oh most humans are quite alike this was the first answer i got run i got run now i didn't know if it was like go for a run or like run for your life i I didn't know but but to me Maybe both of those are totally understandable. So, the first answer I got was run. The next answer I got was hide. (laughs) And I know exactly what that means. So, the first two answers I got when I pulled all these women was run and hide. And then the next answer I got was sleep. And then the next answer I got was sit alone and scroll. And the next answer I got was cook-slash-bake alone. And my favorite, and forgive my crass humor, if kids were involved, to pee alone. <laughs> there was much consensus in those answers. All of them were harding each other's answers. Finally... My kids are in school. I can get a moment to myself. Finally, the nanny has showed up. I have dropped them off at their babysitter. I have a moment to myself. Finally, the demands of my job are leaving me alone for a moment. I have a moment to myself. I just wanna be alone, even if it's only for a moment. And even if I have to pair it with a mindless chore, bring it on, I'll take it. Whatever I can do to find a moment to me and just me, surely I can get a moment. There's a kid's book in my house, and I think it's called Five Minutes Peace. And it's the relationship between baby elephants and mommy elephant. And the whole story is mommy elephant telling baby elephants, the reason I'm going upstairs and leaving you downstairs is for five minutes peace. And I think that whether you have children in your life or not at any level, you are running ragged. You are stressed and frazzled and being pulled in every possible direction, and your heart's desire is five minutes peace. I just want to get a moment alone. And even if it means I close the bathroom door and lock it, I will. Sister, I want to share with you something about Jesus that we see as he waits for this woman on her private journey of solitude to Jacob's well. This is for your heart, and it might jolt you into reality or jar you into offense. Regardless, you must hear that Jesus will interrupt your pursuit of privacy. He will. And he will do that without apprehension or apology. Jesus, God of God, will interrupt your pursuit Of privacy. He better than anyone else knows your life. He better than anyone else has empathy for your reality of being pulled in every possible direction, be it work, be it children, be it the demands of adult life, whatever it is, you are frazzled and he is aware of that. And your pursuit of privacy is something that he does not respect. He will interrupt your pursuit of privacy, dear sister. Let's jump back into the passage and see what happens next in this drama. Verse 10 says this, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Verse 11, sir the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Immediately she gets defensive of her own heritage and her own faith tradition and she knows her history quite well. Jesus, you got no bucket. There's nothing in your hand. She's completely unaware that he's trying to take the water from the well as a metaphor to describe himself. And this is completely lost on her. She has no idea at this point what Jesus is trying to do. She's like, Who do you think you are? Are you more special than our patriarchs who are familiar with the water from this well? This woman is lost and defensive. She's like, what are you going to do? You've got no pail, no cistern, no bucket, no cup. Where is this living water of yours? Jesus answers her with mercy in his eyes in verse 13. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. This woman still didn't get it, did she? She didn't understand. She still thought that Jesus was talking about some special spiritual Fiji bottled water. She's expecting him to magically create for her a better well. Something that's been like reverse osmosis water. I want the best Water, Jesus, give me the stuff that will satisfy me physically. Give me the water that will quench the dryness in my mouth. After all, I've traveled all this way to get to Jacob's well. And if you are really the guy who says there's a better well, well, then let's see it. If you've got something better for me, God, than I have for myself, then prove it. I'm doing just fine. How many times have you looked at someone who's asked you, how are you? And with everything in you, you put on a face. With all the courage in your belly, you say, I'm fine with a smile on your face, knowing full well that you are masking it all, and that you are not fine, and that you are drawing from a well that is running dry. The water from Jacob's well quenched her physically, church, but left her spiritually thirsty and wanting more my principal question for all of my women, my wives, my mothers, who is mothering, who is taking on the demands of adulthood. I have a question for you, for your heart this morning, and it is, what's the name of the well you're drawing your water from? What is it? Because if it's not Jesus, it's your own Jacob's well what's the name of your well because you probably have a well and you've labeled it or named it it's probably not Jacob but it's where you go for refreshment it's where you go to in hopes this will satisfy my soul this will quench my thirst This will do for me what I need it to do for me because my life is just so stressed. I'm running ragged. I'm getting pulled in every single direction. And I am just barely making it. And some of y'all just barely even made it to church this morning. Because you're like, I barely got my kids dressed. And so you're stressed and you're frazzled and you don't know where to go. So you go to your well for refreshment. And whether it is healthy or not at this point in the sermon is irrelevant. Because the answers I got from the women in my life were, I just sit alone and scroll. I bake, I cook alone. I, I run, perhaps for my life. I hide in the closet, hoping nobody will knock on the door. I run and I hide and I find time alone and I will do anything I possibly can to get five minutes' peace. And that is a way to live. That is a way to live. But Jesus has so much more for you. And Jesus' principal desire is to give you so much more oh he wants for you a well that is so deep that it never runs dry and you will never be left thirsty but it's not water it's not h2o jesus is aware that you will be able to quench your physical thirst with just a little water but in his wisdom and kindness and with mercy in his eyes he's taking this well and this woman and he's using the water as a metaphor to describe himself for her why would he put this woman on his schedule on his agenda going through samaria all of the place of all the places to go through samaria It's social suicide. Why would you do that? Let's jump back into the passage. Verse 16 says, after she asked, share this water with me, he said, go, call your husband and come back. She replied, I have no husband. It's like, you don't know my life. I don't have a husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is, is that you have had five husbands. And the man you are now with is not your husband. So what you have said is quite true. We are on the same page. We are in agreement. Verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you, Jews, claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. This woman immediately changes the subject. She immediately defers away from Jesus' confrontation of her reality and says something totally off topic, and then Jesus brings it back into topic. She changes the subject and she gets defensive, again, of her own background, her own heritage. You you Jews, using it derogatory, you Jews claim that we must worship in Jerusalem, but my ancestors have worshiped right here, right here and right now. So who do you think you are to tell me otherwise? When Jesus said in verse 21, with mercy in his eyes, keep in mind, but then clarity in his voice. He goes, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, believe me. A time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. So she asked, so he gave him the answer. Do you really want to know what's happening here spiritually, lady? Well, I'll tell you, this is the truth, but we got to get back to what we were talking about here for a second. The woman replied to all of this spirituality and theology from Jesus and says in verse 25, "I, I know that Messiah called Christ, right, is coming. Now, when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I'm God, the one who went out of his way to meet you in the midst of your mess and stress. I am the one, the Christ, the one you are looking forward to has just met you at the well. Sister, if you knew that the living water that Jesus offered had nothing to do with H2O and had everything to do with his desire to meet you in the midst of your moment of stress and frazzle and running ragged. If you knew that it was in the presence of Jesus where refreshment happened, where you are now again filled from toe to head, would you take him up on that offer? All y'all have empty buckets or empty pails or empty cups. And every day, every year, every season, every one of us, men included, we bring our empty buckets, our empty pails, our empty cups. We bring them to our proverbial Jacob's well. And we try our hardest to refill them. And we do whatever we possibly can to refresh this frail frame of ours. I I know that there is some young adult women in the room right now who you like grew up in the faith. You like grew up in church and then you kind of like left home. Then you had some kind of existential crisis about faith. I don't think you're having an existential crisis. You just need a fresh encounter with Jesus. You need to meet him at the well. He's waiting for you. There's There's a mom There's a wife in the room. There's someone who is mothering, maybe not biological children, but you're mothering nonetheless. And you just feel completely worn thin. You are just stressed to the max and you'll either project it or you'll bottle it up. Regardless, you're looking for refreshment. You're looking for replenish. And you're going to take that empty bucket somewhere. You're going to take that empty pail somewhere. And if you take it anywhere except for the presence and feet and hands of Jesus, it's going to leak. It's going to leak. It's going to leak. Here's my question for all of you this morning. It's quite simple. Who are you bringing your empty bucket to? Who are you bringing that empty bucket to? My cry for you is to bring your empty bucket to Jesus. Bring your empty pail to Christ. Bring your empty cup. Bring your empty soul. Bring your empty spirit. Bring your empty heart. And bring it right to the feet of Jesus. Because when you do, he's going to teach you something. He's going to teach you that the water or the well you've been drawing from will leave you thirsty. And it will leave you parched. And it will leave you hungering and thirsting for something more and if you sat back for a moment and you evaluated your life my instinct my gut tells me is that you would be able to point to the things in your life that you are trying to use to refresh you to replenish you to refill you and they're not working because everyone in this room has a past Everyone in this room has a vision for their future. And everyone in this room is a cracked cup. We must meet Jesus at the well regularly to experience that replenishing work, that refillment work. Perhaps I could just speak a word over all of my women in the room this morning, my moms, um, those who are mothering, maybe children aren't in the mix, but the demands of your life are just crazy. And I just want to speak a word of encouragement over you. So if, if you are, if you are a female in this room, I, this is what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to close your eyes. And if if someone is sitting next to you and if you feel so led or compelled, would you just ask that woman permission to put your hand on, on their shoulders? Would you just do that for me? Just look to your look to your neighbor and ask, can I put my hand on your shoulder? Okay. And for the women in the room, I just want you to close your eyes. And with the gentle, appropriate touch of the person sitting next to you, we're just going to speak these words over you that dear sister, you are seen. You are seen and you are known and you are acknowledged and you are appreciated. And the sacrifice you make is acknowledged. And I know, we know that you are running ragged. We know that you're stressed, that you're frazzled, that you're being pulled in a thousand different directions at every moment. And the principal desire of your heart is just to find five minutes peace, a moment alone. But with the touch of your neighbor on your shoulder and the sound of my voice over you, there is just new, fresh encouragement for you, sister, to meet Jesus at the well. And allow yourself permission, giving yourself the permission to sit in his presence at his feet with his hands and his conversation. The God of God, the God of the universe wants to talk to you. You are on his schedule because you are on his agenda, because you are on his mind. And you are dearly loved by him. And you are seen by him. He wants to call you out of your past and call you in to your future and speak words of life over you where you will make the connection that all of the wells that you are going to to refresh yourself are wells that will run dry. But the one well that will never run dry is a man, is a God. His name is Jesus Christ, and he wants to sit in your presence and refresh you from toe to head so you are overflowing with the water of God in your life so that instead of running ragged and stressed and frazzled, all of God's love is flowing out of you because it's coming out the top of your head and into people's laps around you. You must sit with Jesus. Let him talk to you. Let him love on you. It's Jesus, it's Jesus. He's the one who has a well that will never run dry. Oh God, that is our prayer over all of these people in this room. Every adult woman in this room, God, we pray heaven's power into their hearts. We pray heaven's love into their hands. May they be refreshed from the presence of your company. May they be refilled by your hands, by your conversation, by sitting right with you. May everyone in this room have the courage to meet you when you call us into your presence. We know we're on your schedule. We know we're on your agenda because we know we're on your mind. God, give that word to all of my sisters in the room this morning, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus, you are the well that never runs dry.